listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. And I'm Ian. And, and we're, we're the, the Recefis. My husband Ian is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am not. Each week he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. We have a lot of fun with it. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with technical analysis and price targets, babe. You promise? I promise. And I promise we won't overwhelm you with ads. That's because we operate on the value for value business model. What's that? Instead of reading off a bunch of ads, we're going to keep things a little more personal, intimate, if you will. If you enjoy the show, meaning it brings you some value, consider supporting us. That support can be sharing the pot on your socials, recommending us to a friend, and yes, even sending us some money. And since I'm the Bitcoiner, I prefer Bitcoin. And you can send us some on our favorite podcasting app, Fountain. If you want to learn more about the pod, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and our Fout page to learn the different ways you can support the show. And if you're new here or not, make sure you check out the Satoshi Savings Calculator on the site. It's a little app that I built that enables you to set a goal for how much Bitcoin you want to acquire while also reinforcing certain Bitcoin concepts like the having and Satoshis. And since I know Bitcoiners are all about their privacy, the app works completely in airplane mode and only saves data to your browser's local storage. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show. We may make the content, but without you, all I'm really doing here is flirting with my husband in front of a microphone. Y'all ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Guten Tag. Buongiorno. Konnichiwa. Bonjour. And back to our Texas friends. Howdy. Howdy. What time is it, babe? Uh, the current time is 763-861, and we are approximately 1,245 blocks since our last recording. And Bitcoin is, in quotation marks, down. Um how many acres could I get on Sunny Bitcoin Island for one measly U.S. dollar? Uh, today, 6,007. Damn! You know, this period of time is very similar to the crash from 20 to 3 um, back in 2018. or That was like a big learning period for me. Mm-hmm. Like I got in, it went up, it came down. I was like, oh, there's something missing. So I hope the people that got in around 70 earlier this year... Mm-hmm and are sitting at 16 are really doing some research and not just panic selling and getting out. Yeah. Um, This is the time that you learn. This is the time that you become what the people like to call a Bitcoin maxi. So how do you feel right now as you see the number going down? I'm following most of the news. Yeah. I know all of the... Context? I know all the context. I know all the catalysts that have happened, which kind of give some explanation to why we are at the price that we're at. But I also know some of the catalysts for why we could go back up. You know, I saw a tweet the other day from Odell. He's like a really hardcore Bitcoiner on mm-hmm. Twitter. And he just said, the hodlers set the floor. Yeah. So the people who get it and understand what Bitcoin is, they're still buying. Yeah. And that'll they're buying right now at 16. They're mm-hmm. establishing a new cost basis. And when it goes back up, they'll be in the green and let's get this train rolling. The interesting thing is there are some people in my life who are not Bitcoiners who are like, Mother, should I buy some Bitcoin right now? Should I buy a lot of Bitcoin right now? And I'm like, okay, all right. I like that that's your reaction instead of like, whoa, Bitcoin's going down. See, it's the, mm, it's not going to work out. Well, you know, I think people are good at pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really how humans have survived forever. <laughs> And I think the pattern that everyone has seen so far is that they keep saying it's worthless and it keeps crashing, but it's always higher in the next crash. And everything is crashing right now. Everything's crashing. I saw a thing Peloton's down like 90%. Mm -hmm. You know, it was interesting because my dad called me a week plus ago and was like, should we just buy a bunch of Bitcoin, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, call Ian, <laughs> call your son-in-law. I did and not he was, get that call. And he was like, you know, my dad, huge advocate of his daughter was like, no, you know more than you know. Like, you just tell me. And I was like, well, I can't really tell you what to do. 
these are choices you have to make for yourself. It was, it was just very cute that that was my dad's reaction to the situation where usually he'd be like, Mandana, I'm very worried. You guys are all in on Bitcoin. <laughs> are you sure? You know, my, my, you know, if you think Ian is risk averse, my, my Baba is even more risk averse. So I just thought that was an amazing reaction um, from someone who would typically take these as a sign of like, wow, this is about to go really bad, pull all of your money out. I hadn't really been tracking the price of Bitcoin because I normally don't. So, you know, I went and I looked it up and I asked you, hey, babe, did the price drop because of all of the tech industry layoffs? And you were like, no. (laughs) And then you mentioned FTX. You know, we were sitting at like 20 to 22. We were bouncing around there for like a couple months. And then FTX blew up and it fell from, you know, 2022 down to like, I think I saw it as low as 15. Mm. Um, but now we're sitting around like 16.5 and that might be the new yeah. 20 to 22 for a while as people get wiped out, unfortunately. I think that whole day you were trying to be like, babe, this is big. Babe, this is big. I think you even said, I think this is why Tom Brady and Giselle broke up. <laughs> and I was like... You know, per our one of our most recent episodes, I was not in the mood to talk about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go into a whole conversation about it. And I got that. And I was like, okay, okay whatever, babe. I want to, you know, watch whatever I was watching or doing whatever I was doing. And then every day it would be more stuff. And this is very rare. It was coming into my world. Like I was seeing coverage about FTX mm-hmm. in the regular news that I consume. And like, as you all might know, I don't really consume mainstream news. It's not on my social media. I don't really follow news on social media. If I want to look up something, I will just go to a website. But I do follow and consume a couple of accounts, websites, email newsletters that compile news. And there's one I really, really like. They're fairly new and they're called Rocka News. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to you know, kind of read off, summarize what they had been sharing about what's going on with FTX um, since you first tried to talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I will say, like, they're not mainstream. They're supposed to be a nice alternative that shares unbiased information, makes it easy to digest, those types of things. So they're not, this isn't like the New York Times, MSNBC. It's not one of those outlets. And I know that you have some beef with how they're covering this. Mm-hmm. But um, just so that I make sure I understand the context of the information, and probably a lot of you listening at this point have also been consuming stuff. So let's just establish like the base understanding of what this situation is, and then really get into how this impacts Bitcoin in the long run. So before getting into like FTX, a lot of the news around this story is about the founder or CEO of FTX, and his name is Sam Bankman-Fried. Correct. And he goes by this acronym SBF. I mean, I don't know if he actually goes by that. That's his Twitter handle. Okay. So his Twitter handle is SBFFTX, and it's easier to just give someone an acronym. Ironically, I don't know if anyone knows this, but we tend to give serial killers three-letter acronyms. (laughs) I mean, yeah, and I know that people are calling him psychopath, but taking a step back, he was, like, supposedly painted as the next Warren Buffett. So back in the spring of 2022 this year, um, Fortune did a piece on him calling him... He was on him, the cover. He was on the cover as the next Warren Buffett. At the time, he was 30 years old. He's like a vegan. He's a philanthropist. He's a crypto mogul and one of the richest people in the world. Um, but his whole shtick is that he doesn't look like he's rich. He's not into luxury things. He wants to be altruistic. He wants to donate his money like that's what that fortune piece coverage painted him as he looks and acts like a bum yeah and he lived in an apartment in the bahamas with nine roommates which i guess also lends to that like oh i i'm not a jeff bezos type i guess he's like the alternative to that have you seen the picture of said apartment though no i i have not i'm sure in the bahamas it was they were not slumming it they weren't slumming it um so he was born in 1992 which is wild because he's younger than me 
uh, to two Stanford law professors. He's supposedly a math prodigy. He went to MIT. He has a physics degree. After he graduated, he worked at a Wall Street law firm. In 2017, he started a crypto trading company, Almelda. Um, Alameda. Alameda. And then in 2019, he launched FTX. After then is when crypto prices exploded. People made a lot of money off of crypto. He was no exception. By January 2022, FTX was worth $32 billion and was one of the world's largest crypto exchanges. And so he became one of the crypto industries like leading people. And when he turned 30 in March of this year, he was the 41st richest person in the world. And the most like prominent advocate for crypto going mainstream. And so that's kind of who he is. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that about that that's not true or like a piece of that that's missing? I mean, the last thing you said about most prominent, I, I would challenge that. I think he was most prominent because he was being put in front of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But there have been people for at least over a decade that have been saying some of the things that he was saying. So like, why why was he the person that, was being asked to speak on behalf of crypto. It's like, you're new here. Yeah, also for me, like, we've been doing this podcast for almost a year. You've never mentioned him. I didn't mention him because FTX is just like a second order issue of the Ethereum scam. So like, we have talked a lot about the Ethereum scam and Vitalik. What's happening to this guy is gonna happen to Vitalik. Mm -hmm. We don't know when, but it's the same scam. And we'll get into that later. So like, the reason why I never talked about him was because there's already a bigger scam going on with mm-hmm. Ethereum. And he's not like a Bitcoin mas- maximalist to be someone yeah, we're not that's gonna, worth talking yeah, about exactly. our pod. Okay, exactly. fair enough. Like I, I knew about the FTX stuff and, you know, on Twitter, you know, the Bitcoin maxis have been hammering a lot of these exchanges in general, just saying if something goes wrong, they're going to go bankrupt. They're going to lock the mm-hmm. doors. You're not going to be able to get your money. And so this just fell into that bucket. Yeah. There's nothing special about it. Was it was like, pull your money out, yeah. not your keys, not yeah. your coin. That's the same old spiel. Exactly. So the next piece of coverage that Rocket News did was on how he was one of the most powerful people in American politics. In 2020, he donated $5.2 million to the Joe Biden campaign. Mm-hmm. And only Michael Bloomberg uh, donated more than him. Only a guy that ran for president <laughs> yep. donated more money to the Democrats Yep, yep. than this guy. Yeah, which is crazy. So SBF had become a fixture in Washington, D.C. He hired former top government officials and they lobbied with legislators in Democratic circles. Um, he was spoken to be like the next George Soros, who's the billionaire financier, who's the Democratic Party's biggest donor up until this point. Mm-hmm. And so his presence in D.C. arguably made him the most prominent face of crypto and politics, um, where many people in the industry of crypto are supposedly hostile towards government oversight and intervention. He called for regulation. Um, he said the recommendations were sensible and needed to bring crypto into mainstream. But his critics said that he was trying to craft rules and protect his companies and block competition. So SBF also claimed that he was bipartisan and motivated by effective altruism, but his critics said that that was a sham and that he was only donating to influence crypto policy, which I would assume is, you know, why anyone's donating to anyone. Like, that's pretty obvious. Um, Many of SBF's donations ended up with politicians who were active in crypto regulation, and really 90% of those were Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, The amounts were game-changing and poised to grow. In May, he said that he would spend up to $1 billion in the 2024 elections. Mm-hmm. So that would smash donor records that we've seen up until this point in American politics. For this year's midterms, he donated almost $40 million to the Democratic Party, making him the party's second biggest donor. Behind? Uh, it doesn't say, but I George would assume Soros. George Soros. Yeah, yeah, he's coming in behind him. That's that coverage about his involvement in american politics so i'm gonna assume you have a ton to add to that not really the only thing that i would add to that is his presence i think you said in one of those like he had a large presence it Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily him it was his money Mm -hmm. and what we're learning as facts come out as this unfolds is that a lot of the money that he was donating he actually had borrowed from his own company off of 
the valuation of this company from other people putting money in. So this wasn't his own money that he had earned as income or as part of his own shares. That's the irony of all of this is like we actually don't really know what he did with the money. So like they're in, I think it was called restructuring or bankruptcy restructuring or something like that. There's a new CEO in charge of FTX and he's kind of answering questions now. Um, but there was a report that came out that's like literally, here's what's going on with all the money. Here's what we found so far. And the big thing that came out is that he had actually borrowed money mm. from FTX. FTX can only loan that money to him because he's on the cover of Forbes magazine. Yeah getting this air of like respectability, mm -hmm. which brings in Tom Brady and all these celebrities, right? Mm -hmm. Which brought the attention, which brought the investors. Who actually fact-checked any of his like shtick? And what we're finding out through all of this is that all his whole shtick was just the shtick and no one actually checked for it. Or if they did, they didn't bother to tell anyone that like this isn't a legitimately run company, but they let people put money in. And he then in turn turned around and donated money in politics to influence policy that would have at least at the bare minimum maybe protected him from some of this. I mean, yeah. the guy is walking around the Bahamas still today. So it seems like he's sort of protected. Someone's protecting him. And I, I, I don't know whose money he's lost. <laughs> I'm assuming he lost a lot of retail money. You know, there was some like VC money that went in there. I don't think VC send hit squads, but like you can lose the wrong people's money. Yeah, it seems like he hasn't yet. And, and that's part of this whole story that is, it just doesn't sit right with me. You don't lose that much money and then walk around free in the Bahamas. <laughs> and then the other thing about just like the money donations in general, this company was allegedly being regulated. This company was allegedly like, this is one of the good guys. There's a lot of bad stuff. We want regulation. There's a lot of bad stuff that's happened this year. But these guys, he sat in front of Congress. He mm -hmm. actually testified in front of Congress about how the guys in 08 messed up. Mm -hmm. Right? So he was propped up in a way that said, I'm trying to do things right. And so because of that, regardless of who he donated to, yes, the majority of it went to the Democrats. That's not really the point here. Is The point is that he donated money. That money is obviously ill-gotten gains from this guy. And I haven't seen a single politician say, I'm giving it back or I'm doing something else with it. Yeah. Like, no one is even talking about, we took money from this Dirty money. criminal. And like, you sometimes you can argue that a donor is a criminal. Like, oh, we took money from Lockheed Martin. They're war criminals, right? This guy's an actual financial <laughs> criminal that donated money in his name to your campaign. Yeah. And you were saying earlier today that his parents are schmoozers with the regulators. Like, they're friends with Gary Gensler. Like, he's not just some kid off the street. He, that was really smart and went to MIT and then got a job at uh, a Wall Street firm. Like, his yeah. family's in this game already. His, so, I don't know the details right in this moment, but there's a very, like, very clear, like, pictograph of his connection to all of this. There's no way that he can say he didn't know what he was doing. Because if he needed help, he had two people, at least, that he could have asked for help on what to do. <laughs> And my question is, if he did ask them and this still blew up, like, what advice did they give him? And if he didn't ask them, that means that this regulatory framework doesn't even work when they're your children. It especially doesn't work when they're your children. I mean, especially yeah. doesn't work, but it's like the regulators <laughs> couldn't even, like, massage this in a way to help him survive. That's how bad this scam is. He had connections. He had influence. He had everything you need to like do this sur right. survive this type of scam, yeah. and it blew up spectacularly. And no one seems to be like, well, who's accountable for not having regulated this company that was allegedly working with regulators? So bringing it back to the Bahamas, the next part of coverage uh, says the whole operation was run by a gang of kids in the Bahamas. That's how one insider described FTX to Coindesk, a top crypto news outlet. 
At his peak, the 30-year-old SBF was the world's 32nd richest person. FTX was an exchange where people could trade cryptocurrencies. Originally headquartered in the U.S., it had relocated to Hong Kong and eventually the Bahamas, where regulations were looser. Insiders told Coindesk that SBF and nine roommates managed the company from a penthouse in the Bahamas. Okay, so there's a photo here. It looks amazing. (laughs) (laughs) For a company's therapist, all 10 housemates had at various points paired up in romantic relationships. Among the roommates was Carolyn Ellison, who worked with SBF on Wall Street and was CEO of Alameda Alameda Research, a crypto trading company that SBF had founded in 2017. At times, they were both romantically involved. These relationships raised questions about conflicts of interest, particularly because Ellison's company was gambling on crypto, while SBF's was facilitating people's trade in it. Mm-hmm. Then on November 2nd, Coindesk revealed that 16 billion in crypto assets customers had entrusted with FTX had lent 10 billion to Alameda's research, Ellison's company. Mm-hmm. Alameda's business was making risky bets on crypto. In other words, it was gambling with the FTX customers' money. Mm-hmm. FTX, like many crypto companies, had created its own crypto, FTT which let people profit off the company's success. But it also emerged that Alameda held most of the world's FTT and had used this to take out loans. And so there's actually a a headline clipping from November 2nd from Coindesk that says, Divisions in Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire blur on his trading titans Alameda's balance sheet. Alameda has $14.6 billion in assets as of June 30, according to a private document Coindesk reviewed. Much of it is the FTT token issued by FTX, another Bankman-Fried company. So at least Coindex was going after them. That's their business. That's their business. They're, they're crypto news. <laughs> so if anyone's going to cover this, Good for them. Desk. Not Fortune, but Coindesk. So in short, Alameda was gambling with FTX's customers' money. Yep. And Alameda's value was dependent on FTT. If FTT fell, FTX and Alameda could collapse. The news frightened FTX customers and investors. Mm-hmm. First to move was Shangpeng Zhao, the CEO of Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange and one of SBF's biggest rivals. Just for context, we just call him CZ. CZ? Mm-hmm. He announced Binance would sell $500 million in FTT. In the next 72 hours, customers pulled... Six billion out from FTX and the collapse was underway. Can you explain to me, like, if you're a competitor, why would you own the cryptocurrency of your competitor? Well, um, I don't know if they mentioned it there, but CZ and Binance, which we talked about from the Iranian episode, right? Um, CZ was one of the investors. So he took his equity, some of the equity he took was in these, these tokens, these FTT tokens. So he's a competitor, but he was also an investor. Walk me through this. Is this normal for other industries or is it just something that crypto industries do to kind of prop each other up? I mean, it's relatively normal. Like, you know, like Toyota was an original investor in Tesla, Hmm. right? But that was before Tesla was Tesla. Eventually, Tesla becomes a competitor competitor. And then Toyota's like, well, we're divesting from you because we can't profit from you doing well we have to actually compete Being with you. Our competitors. CZ had this bucket of FTT tokens from his original investment and then FTX blew up and so when news of this came out it's a very good spot it's a good stopping point right to be like okay we don't know what's going on we're going to cash out our investment. Now I think CZ is in the same bucket as SBF I think Binance is going to blow up really? at some point in the future. All of these exchanges, I think, are going to blow up. Because they're, like, too big. They're playing with fire with all these other cryptos. Um, Having so, their own coins and all this nonsense. What's happening to FTX? What happened to Celsius? What happened to Voyager? What happened to everyone over the summer, right? All of these exchanges that have blown up this summer or this year. Um, the core reason why they blew up is because there's no central bank in crypto if there was a central bank they would have jumped in in theory and bailed all of these players out but in crypto you don't have that and so whenever you get into a dire financial straits you're pretty much cooked the problem is that these guys are building companies with like 
the fiat central bank business model. Like you build a company like a bank. Mm-hmm. You're basically running a bank. There's deposits and then you're lending them out and you're hoping that you make more of a return then you're paying your customers for holding their money on interest, right? And somehow you still have that backup option of declaring bankruptcy. And you have, you, <laughs> because you're not a bank, you can just close the doors, yeah. right? But here's the like, the, the main point is that when FTX or Celsius or whoever, when you deposit your assets, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or FTT or whatever, when you deposit your money with them, you are no longer in control. And so when CZ said, I'm going to sell FTT based on that news report Mm -hmm. that you just read, most people can't go to Wells Fargo and take out all their cash. Right. But in crypto, you can. That's a button push. So what maybe this is in like your your summary or whatever but there's one more as it was all unfolding you know and i think he's been tweeting this recently but like sbf is like explaining like oh we thought that we could handle the withdrawals but then we just got too many withdrawals and then we blew Mm -hmm. up and it's like yeah because in crypto which bitcoin included in that version of crypto small c crypto um people can pull their money out of you in two seconds and so these these uh, these these exchanges and stuff that have blown up, the first signal that it's blowing up is when they pause withdrawals. And is that what they did? That's what they did. That's what everyone has to do. So they paused withdrawals and then started spinning this story about what's going on mm-hmm. and everyone knew it was over. And so I wonder, should these exchanges ever try to be this big? Or should they just be small companies that take a little cut when you're trading and they don't make their own, they don't do any of that nonsense and they don't try to become the 32nd richest person in the world because of it? Because this is the inevitable outcome. I don't, I don't want to tell someone to not try to become wealthy. But I do think if regulations do come, Mm -hmm. one of the main ones will be you can't have your own token, Mm -hmm. right? That'll be a that'll probably be like step one. (laughs) Um, Step two. It's wild to me that after Celsius, people were still buying another company's another exchange's tokens. But it's not wild because this guy was getting all of this yeah, street cred. he was a good guy. He was getting street cred from the establishment. Which, you know, I still feel a little uncomfortable when we're talking about Bitcoin companies and you're like, well, they're, you know, they're pretty good. They're well-known. They're good advocates. They're a real Bitcoiner. Well, they support them. And it's like, yeah, but this is still a person. But here's the difference, right? So I'm going to name names, right? Mm-hmm. Swan, mm-hmm. right? So Swan Bitcoin... Um, I have no issue with them because I know that they do not rehypothecate any Bitcoin that they hold. Mm-hmm. Rehypothecation is you lend it back out. Yeah. So like if you're holding Bitcoin on Swan, CEO of Swan has said many times, we don't rehypothecate. He's saying that, but it's not a publicly traded company. How do we know for sure? You're still kind of taking their word well, to be true. There's taking someone at their word, mm-hmm. but it's also the business practice as a whole. Mm-hmm. So if you have Bitcoin on Swan, you don't earn interest on it. Mm-hmm. If you have Bitcoin on Strike, you don't earn interest on it. Mm-hmm. If you have cash on Swan or cash on Strike, you don't earn interest on it. So like they don't have this forcing function to go get yield somewhere else mm-hmm. to pay you that interest for them holding it. Right. So that alone tells me that they have less pressure on them to get a yield. They just charge a little bit more than the price of Bitcoin to cover their costs. Strike does a spread. Swan has a fee. Okay. A flat or a percentage fee. It's the All same right. percentage fee. Um, but, but So that suggests more transparency in their business model. Yes. The other part about why I feel more confident talking about Swan or Strike or, you know, some of the other Bitcoin only companies, Unchained Capital, is because the ethos of those companies is to create a system that's an alternative to the fiat central banking system. Mm -hmm. What Sam Bankman-Fried created was a carbon copy. Yeah. What CZ has created is a carbon copy. What Celsius has created is a carbon copy. It's just that there's no central bank to prop you up when you fail. So it's very similar to, you know, they what they call like the wildcat banking or the free banking 
of like the early 1900s where like there was just a bank in town. <laughs> yeah. And everyone deposited their money. Mm-hmm. And then one day the bank's like, we ain't got it. Bye. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if it's that model that regulators or people in government are drawn to because it's what they're most familiar with. And there is some supposed control that they can have over it. But are they seeing now like, no, this doesn't work in crypto. It's not the same thing. I mean, I think it's bigger than that. I think what this is showing is that regulation is not for the protection of the consumer. Regulation is like a very... Um, it's a legalized extortion racket. Like if you want to pass regulation, you got to have a certain number of lawyers. Mm-hmm. You got to have, you got to have, you got to hire yeah. certain law firms. It to costs like, 40 million each midterm election. Something like that, yeah. right? And so the regulation is, you know, you're basically paying for the ability to be in this business. It's not to protect the people that, the customers that you're serving. Absolutely not. So with that being said, I think the Bitcoiners... Right. I don't know if this is in the, in the news article, but like it came out that like the FTX basically had zero Bitcoin. Ooh. Right. So like the most, you know, in my opinion and other people's opinions also, the most <laughs> valuable asset on the planet right now, the, the asset that has the most intrinsic properties of a store of value and money and all mm-hmm. that fun stuff. This company was like, nah, we don't want that. Dang. We want these other things that we can juice. Yep. We want the things that are easier to exploit. They can actually control. Exactly. Yeah. So let me read you the last part of this uh, coverage that they've covered so far. This is a DM from SBF on Twitter to Vox that they that he sent earlier this week it says i fucked up big multiple times two weeks ago reports emerged that fdx had loaned 10 billion in customer assets to another company that he founded alameda research which gambled the money on risky crypto bets along with those reports were ones that showed ftx was overly dependent on its own crypto ftt after that cz that's his acronym mm-hmm. look at all these acronyms i'm learning today pulled the rug out from FTX. CZ is the head of Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange and one of FTX's biggest competitors. Initially, CZ was a major investor in and supporter of FTX, but SBF lobbied the government for crypto regulation, which CZ opposed and reportedly lobbied against CZ specifically. That led to a feud between the two crypto billionaires. After this month's report, CZ announced Binance was selling its FTX-related assets, sparking a bank run as people rushed to withdraw money. But FTX didn't have enough cash on hand, putting it on the edge of bankruptcy. A day later, CZ swooped in and agreed to buy FTX, saving it. But then just a day later, though, he pulled out, citing FTX's finances. Unable to pay its debts, FTX declared bankruptcy. The company was valued at $32 billion this year. After that, it was worthless. Many thousands of FTX customers and employees have lost their assets, and FTX now faces a flood of fraud lawsuits. SBF is currently chilling in the Bahamas. <laughs> I added the chilling. SBF says the collapse was a result of business mistakes. We didn't secretly transfer customer funds, he said in one interview. We had confused internal labeling and misread it. In another, he blamed, quote unquote, messy accounting. His direct uh, message said, messy accounting plus margin exchange, arrow sign, position built up over time. Though in retrospect, Luna crash was when a lot of it did. But messy accounting, arrow sign, I didn't realize full size of it until a few weeks ago. He's very Gen Z typing like this. And one more wrinkle. As the company collapsed, a reported hack hit FTX, stealing $600 million from the exchange. Was it hackers, angry employees, customers, or someone else? Much like the SBF story, those questions remain unanswered. So that's what I had read on my own without talking to you. And it's so surprising to me that this has come into my space. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that coverage? Is it accurately depicting what's been going on? Um, I don't necessarily think it's defending or holding a specific position. I think it's pretty neutral stance. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty neutral way of telling that story, Um, which I guess, you know, if you're trying to be like a legitimate news organization, you should just tell the facts and don't editorialize. Um, But I find it really hard to tell the facts of this story without like wanting to go to the Bahamas and drag that guy out. Yeah. 
And I feel like there's a lot of people all over the world that feel that way. He's admitting to what happened. Messy accounting. Uh, whatever, whatever excuse he wants to give, he's admitting to what happened. And what has happened are financial crime. So, like, for me, it's just very hard to, like, talk about this story without just being enraged for multiple reasons. Um, the main one being that, like, there's still a ton of people, understandably, I get it, but there's still a ton of people that are in crypto. There's still a ton of people that don't understand what's going on and were willing to trust this person with their money. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in crypto, which means they know about Bitcoin, um, which means they have the actual like out that they're kind of looking for by trying to make all of these gains in crypto. Yeah. It's right in front of them, but they want the easy gains. And it sucks. I, I hope that people take from this like, I woke up Monday morning when this all was going down. Last Monday? Whenever whenever, whenever this started going down. Yeah. I think it was like the Friday before this past Monday, mm-hmm. right? Um, I woke up, <laughs> saw the news and started laughing. Because I know that my Bitcoin itself is not affected by it. But I thought BlockFi, which is the credit card that we use, mm-hmm. was. I remember you said they had sent some strange message that was like, hey, hey, hey. We might go under, but you still need to pay your credit card bill. Oh, no. The email was, we have gone under, oh. and you still need to pay your bill. BlockFi card is no longer. Okay. So I we cut won't, it up. We won't put our referral link out, guys, anymore. We, don't, we haven't been referring <laughs> BlockFi for... Like, we haven't been referring BlockFi for a very long ah, time okay. um, for this very reason. Like, a- after I did a little more research, it's like, I'll use the card, but if I get the Bitcoin, I get it. I have, like, we have, like, 15 or $20 on BlockFi that we're probably not getting. Yeah. Right? Um, some people, probably more. Because BlockFi was another place you could deposit your crypto and earn some yield on it. So right? really, any business model that tries to give you free Bitcoin is going to be associated probably with some other similar, almost like pyramid scheme that's well, just trying to make money out of nothing. I don't want to poo-poo on BlockFi's entire business model. Mm-hmm. I think paying people whatever percentage, you know, like cash back or whatever you want to do, I think paying people that in Bitcoin is better than paying them that in fiat mm-hmm. or paying them that in like airline miles and points, yeah. right? Um, but that's different than depositing your money and earning yield on your money, mm-hmm. right? So interest rates are yield. That's mm-hmm. why I'm saying yield, right? So, for example, if I had a gold bar and I gave you a gold bar and you held that gold bar for any amount of time, that gold bar is not going to create 1% more gold, <laughs> yeah, 2% yeah. more gold. It's not going to, right? So, like, gold does not create more gold. Yeah. When someone says they're going to pay you interest on your money, the question always has to come, where is that money Where coming? is it coming yeah. from? And so what they're doing normally is that they're taking your money... Yeah. And going somewhere else and trying to make more, taking their profit and giving you the one or two percent they give you. I think BlockFi would have been fine if they just said, look, we're going to give you one percent interest or one percent cash back and we're going to just pay you in Bitcoin. Like they would have they wouldn't have had a problem, especially if their interest rates that they're charging are normal credit card interest rates. They got blown up because they were also searching for yield Mm -hmm. and they had given some of their money to FTX. FTX blows up, they blow up. But this is why I'm wondering if the future with Bitcoin adoption, hopefully these other cryptos wipe out, all of these exchanges kind of crumble that are operating under this business model, we move away from this assumption that, oh, if I'm dealing with a financial company, I need to find the one that's going to give me the most money for my money. Yeah, I mean, that's not a new idea, though. That's maybe new to our generation of people. But what you're talking about is commodity credit. Mm -hmm. And that's an old idea from like the 1800s. That's how things used to work. Yeah. And it had to work like that with gold. Why? Because gold (laughs) doesn't create more gold. So you can always loan money. Loaning money is not the problem. It's the leverage, right? So like I have $10 and I loan you $100, that's bad. If I have $10 and I loan you $10 or less, 
That's fine. But if there's a company that's saying, hey, if you put $10 here, I'm going to give you $15 in a month. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag. They're doing something. Yeah. Whereas right now, I think the mentality that a lot of people have is, oh, that bank's going to give me more. I'm going to get more back from this place. So that's where I should go. Where it's like, no, take a minute and really think about where is that money coming from? Exactly. That's a riskier bet of putting your money somewhere versus like you just holding it. Right. And so the Bitcoiners, specifically the Bitcoin maxis, right? They would say by depositing your money into BlockFi, FTX, whatever, you are risking 100% of your Bitcoin to get 6% gain. Mm -hmm. That Bitcoin that you are risking has on average been going up about 100% a year. Yeah. So you're not good enough for 100%. You need 106? Yeah. What's really going on here is greed. It is greed. And I... And I really wonder when or if ever people are going to learn their lesson. And I guess like the frustrating part of this, and maybe this is just what needs to happen over the course of who knows how many years is these major collapses that unfortunately bring the price of Bitcoin down. And maybe for us, like long-term holders, it's it's kind of nice because it's like, okay, the price of Bitcoin's down. We'll just buy a little bit more mm-hmm. for less. But it's like shockingly frustrating how no one is learning their lesson over and over and over again. Oh no, people are learning their lessons. You think? Oh yeah. So you're not on Bitcoin Twitter, but every time one of these things blows up, there's always a person that's like, I should have listened to the Bitcoin maxis, right? Maybe not everyone learns their lesson, right? I saw a tweet, the guy said he lost his whole portfolio this year. Five different things happened to him this year and he lost $5 million. (gasps) Five million to zero in one year. Four out of those five things were greed. Yeah. Now, I don't know what lifestyle you're living where $5 million isn't enough, but if I had $5 million in cash or whatever sitting somewhere, I know I'd be doing this podcast full time. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? If you put that anywhere, that is a risk. If you put it into... Anything that says, put it here, we're going to give you X amount of interest or, you know, whatever, you are fundamentally taking a risk. And the risk that you're taking is, will they give my money back to me That's the first when I ask assessment that people should be making right now. And Especially when the economy is in a place, this is a different situation that we're in when Bitcoin dropped from 20 to 3. Like, this is one of the worst points of economic i don't know distress i don't even know what you want to call it in the history of the modern world that's what we're experiencing right now i don't know we're on the verge of it we don't even know i would assume that we're on the verge of it things are not great right but things have not been great for a while Mm -hmm. and i would argue that the drop from 20 to 3 while the events that were happening at the time were different there was no celsius and ftx blowups and stuff like that People were selling because they did not actually believe in Bitcoin being able to do what was advertised at the time. This time around, it's just that more people actually believe that Bitcoin can do what's being advertised, which is when these moments of financial distress occur, this is really the only thing that you can hold that will not disappear (laughs) when FTX blows up or when Wells Fargo blows up. Because banks are coming next. Yeah. And I don't want to be like a fear monger, but there are banks that are in crypto. Yeah, like who's safe right now? Well, I mean, it's all a... Um, Government bonds? You don't want to be in that. <laughs> um, but the point that I'm getting at is like the financial industry is now in crypto, right? Not all of it, mm-hmm. but the financial industry is in crypto. And part of what happened with SBF and FTX is that there was Silicon Valley venture money that went into it. And it was coming from very legitimate people. Sequoia is a very legitimate VC company. I think it was like $100 million that they put into this. When people see Sequoia putting money into something, Mm -hmm. they think it's legit. So everyone starts piling. Oh, yeah, I'm in too. They start piling in, right? Okay. Now, SBF has blown up. I saw a chart the other day. There's like 10... VC firms that together had like a hundred, uh, like a billion dollars that they had put in in investment. That's all gone. Now Sequoia's got to go fill that hole, right? Once these things blow up, everyone's got to fill the hole that's created from blowing up. And some of those people that got to fill the hole can't and they blow up. So you don't actually know who is going to be caught up 
in blowing up. And the only way you can protect yourself is if you actually hold your money. So you can have a gold bar, you can have cash in a safe, or you can have Bitcoin. And I would argue that Bitcoin is the most portable and the easiest to like hold. Yeah. But if you're not holding your money, physical possession, Bitcoin, 12 words, it's a form of physical possession. If you're not holding your money, it's not your money, period. And like have people learn their lesson. And people are learning their lesson the hard way in the crypto world. But I think that there's a significant number of people who are sitting over here that are not in crypto because they've been skeptical and they're Mm -hmm. like pointing and laughing at all these people. And then their bank's going to blow up. Yeah. And they're going to be in the same position. And then who's going to be sitting on the sideline pointing and laughing at them? The Bitcoiners. Yeah. Right? It's like you can't really afford to not be paying attention to this stuff anymore, which I think is why it's seeping into my regular news consumption. Because a lot of people in regular news had crypto. Mm. And nothing's juicier than Tom Brady losing. That's the juiciest news you can get on Tom Brady. And what is that? Tom Brady just was holding a lot of FTT? Tom Brady was an investor Ah. in FTX. He did the main commercial for the Super Bowl. Oh, okay, okay. And the commercial was literally him calling up all his friends, all these other celebrities. The commercial is him calling up other celebrities being like, are you in? Like, it is the... If it's not a troll, it is the most, like ironic commercial you can make mm-hmm. it's like are you in on this scam yeah and even in the commercial his wife's there and i think in the commercial she like in the commercial she shows him ftx and then he gets on the phone and starts calling up his friends Jeez. so it's like you know whatever it's but it's funny it's sad but it's funny and you know i think this is why a lot of people including myself are really turned off to the crypto world um, and I am still, right? Like, I think Bitcoin and the crypto world are two separate things, mm-hmm. um, two separate cultures. Mm-hmm. But people in the crypto world, people in the crypto world seem like they've really, they have it all figured out. They've made a ton of money. The, mm-hmm. the really loud ones have made a ton of money doing nothing, mm-hmm. just gambling, literally adding zero value to society. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels good to see them suffer. Like, I'm a little annoyed as well that this dude's still living in that really nice penthouse in the Bahamas. As uh, as everyone yeah. should be. And, pro- and he's super crusty with his, like, crusty nine other roommates. that, And they've ruined so many people's lives. There's like people who, like, are probably going to be homeless because of this. Yeah, at minimum, they're employees who believed in this company it's really frustrating and i know that again this is going to get muddled up with bitcoin for people that don't really understand it but at least i hope people in the crypto world like get over themselves stop trying to make a quick buck and see how damaging this is to the long-term adoption of what you like to say is like the actual invention which is bitcoin you know there's a lot of different sayings about bitcoin you know bitcoin is insert whatever mm-hmm. right and i think in this scenario you know bitcoin is a technology from moving money from the inpatient to the patient so right now yes ftx is blown up somebody else might blow up it might go down further right but the patient people who are just buying a little bit of bitcoin mm-hmm. every day are getting it for cheaper now and who did not lose really anything and if you if you, exactly and if you're acquiring at a rate that does not affect you yeah. you don't have to sell right now yeah you're not panicking you're not oh my god i should have sold when it was 70 like if you're in bitcoin to get out of that other system you don't have to sell right now like i said i woke up i saw the news that really sucks and i went about my day yeah and i, think- I didn't have to <laughs> i didn't have to scramble i, know. I didn't have to like panic and for- as your wife i wasn't like are we screwed babe i didn't even ask you like i mean i knew we weren't affected by it right and so you were just like ha block five we're not using that anymore right? like- <laughs> i mean i've you know this this was the year i would say i we went i went we went full-on bitcoin only like we got a podcast you know, I, I finally got my little bit of Ethereum out of that little racket or whatever, mm-hmm. right? We're like only Bitcoin now, right? And so I find it interesting that like this is the year that all these things blew up. And this is the year like in all of these blow ups that I'm just like not concerned. Yeah. 
And I, I can't explain that to, to, to people. You know, everyone's seeing the news and they're texting me like, oh, like Bitcoin's down. Are you OK? Da, 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 da. And I'm just like, you have no idea how calm I am right now. And I think this goes back to our Married with Bitcoin series where we talk about budgeting for your life, living within your means. And it's really important that people aren't relying on their crypto investments as a way to fund their life. Not to knock young people, like I love Gen Z, I'm rooting for all of you. But I think if you're somebody who is just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, and this is an option, it's so easy to be like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Instead of I'm going to find a career that where I can get a really great income that can prop up a lifestyle that I want. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I can rack up my savings. Yeah. And this is what I'm doing with my savings. And I think just generally, a lot of people don't live the way that I've just described. Yeah. I think most people don't have the discipline and we're in a consumerism culture and Instagram, you got to flex on everyone, all that fun stuff. But if that's how you live and you're saving your money in Bitcoin, it seems to me like no matter what happens around us, we'll be fine. It's not so much that we'll be fine. And, and I think that like this particular FTX thing blowing up really like solidified this in me because like I said, I woke up, I saw the news saw the effect, right? I was like, that's a lot of money. Okay, oh, a lot of people are going to be mad. Um, but to me, it was like, because I have Bitcoin, I'm very hopeful for the future. And I feel like the people that were in this, like, that are still in this, like, crypto casino, I don't believe they're actually hopeful. Because if you were actually hopeful, you would not be taking these risks. You wouldn't be pulling all your stuff the second there's a headline. Right. Like, if you believed in this, when the bad news comes, you would be like, well, no, my thing is fine. But instead, whenever there's a whiff of bad news, all of a sudden, everyone's trying to run out of FTX because intrinsically, they know this is not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Intrinsically, they my know. My time has run up. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was gambling. You know, came up snake eyes and it's time to go. Yeah. And not everyone get it, gets out. Not everyone got out the doors. But for me with Bitcoin, I saw the news and like a wave of calm kind of washed over me. And I was like, and this is why you hold your private keys. And this is why you don't buy on leverage. And all the things that like I internalized mm -hmm. kind of came rushing forward and were like, you're fine. Could the price drop? Sure. If we had to, sure, we could sell it if we had to. Like we both lost our jobs or whatever and like we had no other income. Mm -hmm. But to your point, we have jobs because we have skills. Right. And so I'm not really concerned about finding another job. If someone has no skills but has figured out how to create a lifestyle using <laughs> exactly. crypto, then when the crypto falls apart, you still have no skills. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, this is just how things are. But when you see this FTX story in particular, this little kid can go from nothing to becoming one of the richest people in the world and back to nothing, back to nothing. And that's true for anything in our society, whether it's a, a, a system, a policy, a, an, an understanding, even in science, things get disproven all the time after mm -hmm. being true for 50, 100 years. And I think not having that skepticism is where people get really lazy. I mm. think you think about, you know, you bring that up all the time. Um, but, you know, if Bitcoin is supposed to be this wonderful thing where it's not, it is man-made, but it's not man-controlled. It's, it's supposed to be that one shining example or difference and all those things. And I don't really want to put it on that platform because a lot of people still influence Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. This is an influence into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, in this reality that we live in, if you really do look at the reality of the world this way, this is becoming your best option. This is kind of on the same line of this whole story, right? FTX blew up recently, and then all of a sudden, right after FTX blows up, there's all these stories about, oh, we're going to have a CDBC coming out. United States is doing a pilot. Europe's doing a pilot. Like, it's coming, right? And a CBDC is a... CBDC is a central bank digital currency. Mm -hmm. Basically, all money would become 100% digital. It would all flow through a centralized location. And that centralized location will be able to see everything that you spend your money on, where, when, how much. With great power comes exploits and, and somebody mm -hmm. would take advantage of that. But the, the, we have a relative example of what that is, which is what's going on in China. You know, China has a CBDC. It's called the Digital Yuan. Mm -hmm. And when people do stuff over there that they don't like, they literally just shut them out. 
Mm-hmm. You can't get on the train. Mm-hmm. You can't buy a ticket. You can't do X, Y, Z. They just have the ability to make you a non-person within mm-hmm. that society. I know people think that like the West is better than China, but like we're all humans and under the right circumstances, somebody will say we need to do this. When I was a kid, you could walk all the way onto the plane and buckle your kid in. You can't get past security now. It's like, you got to hand your kids over. <laughs> like, please put my kid on a plane. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying terrorism doesn't exist, but like, we used to have freedoms. They were taken away. I think CBDCs are just another form of that. And so I say all that to say, imagine all of this coming down the pike and we didn't have Bitcoin. Yeah. Imagine that there wasn't an alternative to what is coming. It's coming. Whether we like it or not, it's coming. The banks are going to blow up and the CBDC is going to be how they rescue everyone. Guaranteed. When that happens, I don't know. But that's what's going to happen. When that happens, everyone who's like in dire straits is going to be okay with it. And the Bitcoiners who won't be in dire straits probably are going to be the ones that are like, nah. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not selling my Bitcoin for your CBDC. Like, no. And then we better have as Bitcoiners, we better have a parallel economy. We better have an Amazon Bitcoin. We better have Amazon or Bitcoin Slack. We better have all the tools that rely on the current financial system. We better have Bitcoin equivalents when that point comes. Because if we don't, they're going to lock us out. Do you mean Bitcoin Stripe? I mean Bitcoin everything. Oh, you said Bitcoin Slack. I mean Bitcoin Slack. Yeah, right? well, like, why do we need Slack for Bitcoin? Well, I mean, so Slack, you know, uh, just think of Slack as like... Um, digital communication right mm-hmm. and so uh you know if you have a company and you got to pay slack and slack says well you got to pay in cbdc's we don't take that bitcoin I see, stuff I see. all of the products and tools that we need you need to be able to acquire them with bitcoin mm-hmm. anything that you can't acquire with bitcoin you will need to acquire cdbc's to pay for those mm-hmm. things and there will there's a high probability that you will not be able to go back and forth between those two worlds. So one of the things you can do with a CBDC is prevent people from buying things. What's the first thing they're going to prevent you from buying? The off ramps. Yeah, and I think <laughs> like, looking at the crypto industry as the next big political donor, it would behoove the people of any country to get their own Bitcoin. To really show, like, no, we hold our own Bitcoin. These organizations are not going to be the powerhouses that they might be for the first... What? FTX has existed for three years. Long, less than a presidency. Yeah. Like, no, nah, don't fall for this. They might be able to give you money for one or two election cycles, but it's not going to last. And it's not going to be uh, the power long-term powerhouse that you think it'll be. Like, you need the support of the people in a democracy. Yeah, um, buying Bitcoin is a vote. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have different opinions on voting and politics, Mm -hmm. but like, I think it's the only vote that actually matters. Like, taking your money out of the current system and putting it into that parallel economy called Bitcoin, when the Bitcoiners are the ones that make all the food. You want food? You got to pay in Bitcoin. I don't have Bitcoin. We better go get some. I'm not giving you my food for a CBDC. What are you going to do? Sue them and say you have to, I don't have to sell you my products. Whatever I choose to barter with you or exchange, like that's the deal. And if you don't like the deal, leave. And so I see it as like Bitcoiners from the grassroots level. If we get into certain industries, yes, the technology industry is one of them, but if we get into the food industry, or if we get into the, you know, the educational industry, that's a longer term sca- uh, scheme. But like, what if the best school in the country becomes a school that you can only go to if you pay in Bitcoin and everybody wants their kid to go there like MIT? If you want the best, I feel like in the future, you will only be able to get the best with Bitcoin. It's time for shout outs. If you're listening on a platform other than Fountain and want to support the show, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and look at all the other ways you can show us some love. Our biggest streamer this week is Hello There. So hello there to hello there. Um, I had to make that joke. Our uh, biggest boosts are from Hunter SF 770 and 
our top boosts came from TNT Mom, Zordon, R Shackle Ford, User 32, one incredible, no oblique, BTCEDED, and Live to Shoot. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week.